Welcome to the Next Money Podcast, our regular look at the fintech scene, particularly here in the Asia-Pacific region. Uh, my name's Rob Finlay. I'm the CEO of Next Money here in Singapore. And each week, we ask a leading fintech practitioner about their journey in changing financial services for the better. You can find out more about us and the latest fintech news at nextmoney.org, where some of you will know our big conferences and meetups across the world. Contact us today to be a part of those conferences and meetups and these podcasts and much more. This week's guest is uh, Anna Haltanto from The New Savvy, uh, a fantastic business and brand here in Singapore. Anna, welcome to you. Hi, Rob. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. Thanks so much for coming. Today's conversation is really about how we help women invest and build wealth for their futures. Uh, you've been a really fantastic person to help get that going. Before we get into what The New Savvy is, we want to explore your own path in entrepreneurship and, and investing. Can you tell us a bit about how you uh, started in, in work life and how you got to The New Savvy? What was your path to becoming an entrepreneur? Before I started The New Savvy, I was a private banker. So I handled the funds for high net worth individuals, mostly foreigners. So I was in charge of the Malaysian and Indonesian market. And before that, I was in finance for about 8 to 10 years. I did private banking, uh, private equity, corporate and investment banking and research. What got me interested in finance was, I think, mainly during the financial crisis, uh, my family struggled financially. I saw the mistakes that my parents made with money and investments. And I told myself, you know, I don't want to make the same mistakes as my parents and I want to learn more. So I started reading books like Warren Buffett and learning from, you know, Benjamin Graham. And the more I learned, the more I realized that I actually love finance. So I went to Singapore Management University. I studied finance and quantitative finance. And all I wanted to be is in banking, you know, in investments and in the finance world. So you, you studied finance, you worked in the finance industry, mm. you had, I presume, a, a local and potentially a regional remit for your finance work, but then you must have made some jump that went from working in a bank, I suppose, in a secure job mm. with you know regular pay and those kinds of things to the crazy move into entrepreneurship. And why would you jump into this world of entrepreneurship? What made you do it? I think for me, there were a few reasons. So one, I realised that financial education is lacking in Singapore in Asia and basically in the world. I always tell people, isn't it crazy that, you know, as children, we are taught to be good in everything. You know, you need to go to school, you have to take lessons, ballet, tennis and everything, but nobody taught us how to manage money. And even my wealthy clients tell me things like, you know, Anna, I have all this money, I'm so rich, right? But my children grew up with all this money. They don't know the value of saving. They don't know how, the value of wealth. And... And they always tell me, can you please go and teach them how to manage their really? money? Yes. You had to teach these wealthy customers, kids, yes. how to manage their money. I, I have a very wealthy client, Singaporean, who has two sons and they never took the bus before. Oh, really? Yeah. And I, I was telling him that is why your children is so spoiled. Because you never let them, you know, go through the hardship, right? Not that taking bus is a hardship, but yeah. So I think since 21 years old, one of the things that I wanted to do was to buy a property for my family because we didn't have uh, we didn't have any property of our own and we were paying rent. And every year, 
my landlord increased the rent by, I think, 10, 20%. And I was a bit upset at that. So at 21 years old, um, I sat down and I told myself, okay, I want to buy a property before I'm 30 for my family, right? And I went to check the cost of housing in Singapore. And I was actually very mind blown at how expensive it is. And I asked myself, how can I, an ordinary girl, afford to buy a, you know, half a million, 500,000 HDB flat, right? And I think that started my, you know, lifelong journey with finance. And when I started the new savvy, I didn't start it as a business. I was actually very passionate about it. I was passionate about telling people, if you take action into managing your finances, if you take, you know, efforts in planning ahead and in, in having financial goals and planning to reach where you want to be, I think everyone can actually reach their goals. Yeah. So it started with just being a website to simplify financial concepts because I think the traditional media outlets are either your typical Bloomberg, Yahoo Finance, right? They are news sites or aggregators. Or you have a lot of websites that tell you how do you make 20x returns, which I think both don't appeal to women because what women want to know ultimately is how to manage your money. How does it affect me? How can I take care of my family? And how can I use finances to protect myself? So I thought there was no clear media outlets that speak to women. And I started it. Basically, it grew and I decided, okay, I'm going to take the plunge and, you know, do it as a business. That's great. It's obviously a, a huge leap into, into the world of being responsible for your own business and, and uh, mm. focusing on it sort of 24-7, I presume. What made a difference when you went sort of doing it as a side mm. thing to doing it full-time? Was there a big leap in the activity, the output, the exposure you got? Was it a good a good benefit you found by doing that? It was never a side thing. <laughs> it was always, the, was always the, the front and centre thing? I think when I started, it was something I've always wanted to do for six years. But when I tried to leave the banking six years ago, my boss gave me a promotion, so I stayed. <laughs> but um, at that point of time, I was a bit burnt out. I thought I was going to join another bank. And I think the more for me, it was never a side thing, but for a year, I think I doubted myself and I asked myself, you know, am I making the right choice? Because being in banking, you have very good pay, you have stability, you have a brand name behind you. Whereas... When I was trying to build the brand, the new savvy, people people just treat you differently, right? And you don't have the kind of status of prestige that you used to have. And I think I have always been doing it full-time since I started it. But emotionally and psychologically, I always question myself if I should return to banking. But there was one incident where I told myself, you know, I, I'm not going to look back and I'm just going to put everything into it. And, you know, even if I fail, I think I have tried my best doing it. And in a way, I can make an impact in the way that I know how, which is through finance. That's a really good point you make about um, <coughs> this this transition from working in a bank mm. to a startup. I think it's one thing we think generally, even in the fintech space, um, about this need for bankers mm. to jump out of the bank and do something that will impact the industry from a startup perspective. Not enough people do it because, as you touched on, it can be quite comfortable in the bank compared to startup life, right? I mean, you get paid to start with and, yeah. and you have all those resources and, as you say, you have a brand behind you. Um, was Did you have that fear at, at that point that um, if I if I leave this this comfortable position, I'll be, I'll be stuck or I'll be in trouble? All the time. So I am... Um 
the main breadwinner in my family. I have to think very carefully about the finances. When I was in banking, you know, I, I think I can spend frivolously on anything I want. The moment I leave, I think every cent matters, you know, and even when I want to go shopping, I think, no, I can use this money to hire <laughs> another staff or I can use it to buy another domain or, right. you know. Um, but I think the main thing is more of having the confidence and being very clear of the objectives that you want to achieve because mm. being in a bank, I think a lot of times you are part of a big wheel and you're just running and, you know, you just have to be focused on being good at what you do. Being in a startup, you have to be good in everything, even if you're not. And I always tell people, I'm the worst person to be in a startup because all I know is finance. And every mistakes that you can make, I've probably made them twice or thrice. I know that feeling, but <laughs> I have made every mistake in the book, I think, and, and I think that's sort of part of the rite of passage. But as long as we're improving, that's the goal. Let's move now on to what the new savvy talks about, uh, which is women in investment mm. and, and wealth creation and, and managing their finances. I think there's been a lot of good content recently in various press and, and outlets about getting women more involved in their own finances especially and that of their families more broadly. But what are the topics that you find are really um, important at the moment? I mean, apart from the obvious tips and structural content, what are the things that you think are coming through in your content and your audience that are really um, surprising you p potentially? Are there things that they're saying or asking for that you hadn't thought of before? Okay, to answer that question, I have to say I think um, I think the value proposition of the new survey is that we simplify financial concepts. We make it engaging and relevant to women. So we don't tell you, you know, how you can be rich, but we tell you how you can take care of your children. So the reason I'm even bringing this up is because when we first started, we did a lot of asset classes, very classic personal finance topics like saving and budgeting. And then now we cover 40 topics, basically everything, including lifestyle. I think the more popular topics will include parenting, um, wedding. So how do you save money during a wedding? How do you plan and budget for a wedding? Um, our interview section usually do quite well. Recently, I think uh, because we cover FinTech Festival, that did quite well too, yeah. Yeah, I saw, I saw some videos on your site of profiling certain women in Singapore mainly. Uh, what are the sort of stories that they've revealed about how they think about money and, and what's what's important to them or what's what's an important lesson for them as well? That a man is not a financial plan. Right. <laughs> exactly. So exactly right. So what were some of the things they talked about in that? I think the thing about these women and a lot of women who write to me is that the underlying theme is always, you know, women in Asia are working more, we are saving more and women are already proven to be savers to begin with more than men, right? But what these women always say is that, you know, I'm good in my job. I'm good in doing what I do. And I know that I need to take care of myself. I just don't know how to. I don't know how to invest my money. And I know I need to. But for various reasons or excuses, they don't. And there are a few reasons that they don't. One is that, you know, to them, it's too complicated. Or investing is like gambling. Or they think that it's very risky. Or they don't have the time to do it, to invest, right? So... A lot of them always tell me, even these successful women, they always tell me, with regards to investing, they always tell me, I know I need to, I just don't know how to, or I don't have the time to do it. So I think if any financial institutions or any uh, financial providers can can provide 
an instrument or a financial product that is simple, relatively lower risk and easy to understand, and it appeals to women, I think this will do well in the market. I, I seem to think, though, that I'm only seeing this from afar, obviously, but a lot of the products that are aimed at women, especially in places like Singapore, have a lot to do with shopping, have a lot to do with rewards, right? And they really tap into the, potentially this stereotypical view of what women do with money, which is mm. somehow spend it. But I think you're right. I think there's probably not, not enough banks that really treat women with enough respect about what they really need as opposed to what the bank can give them. Are there any examples or or you think there's really quite barren when it comes to banks that in what they offer women? So, you know, it's crazy that 70%... I mean, I read a research that says 70% of purchase decisions in Asia is made by women. So if you think about it, you know, who buys your soap? Who buys your household items, right? It's mostly either your wife or your mum. I mean, for me, it's my mum, right? Um, there was a, recently a TV advertisement. It was very shocking to me that they even play at this day and age. Basically, it was this woman who is supposedly portrayed as a career woman and she wanted to buy a dress that cost $2,000. And the ad goes, she called her husband or her partner, I, I can't remember, a guy. And she, she was like, um, basically trying to act cute and asking him, can you please give me some money? But that, that's the gist of the story. And mm. he was like, why? She said, oh, I need some money to shop to buy a dress. And the guy, the guy said, okay. And he transferred the money. I think the point of the ad was to show that how fast it is to transfer money across the, right. the banks, right? Right. But I think it's crazy how a bank can portray a woman who is supposedly career-driven and successful asking money from a guy in a baby voice for $2,000. So asking his permission to spend yes. the money, right? Yeah. So I think there's a, there's a bit of a disconnect there. Like, And if you go to a lot of investment seminars, right, or events, and a lot of banking events, mm. I think 70% are male. The attendees are 70% are males. So women finance is something that is have been overlooked. In fact, when I first started uh, pitching to investors, a lot of them told me that you're being very silly, you're being very stupid because women just don't understand finance and they don't care. And I told them that is precisely why you should invest in, you know, this is why you should educate them because they do care. It's just that they don't have the opportunity and you can't keep telling women that they are not good enough. It's a great, great point. And it's fantastic that you said that. And, and one thing I want to know, if you know any details or even just sort of anecdotally about the diversity of how women think about finance across maybe Southeast Asia where we are, do you, do you find there's any difference at all between maybe here and other countries in our immediate region or here versus the West, for example? I mean, you mentioned before in Asia, most of them are savers. But in any more details, is there any more insights about how women think about finance in this particular region? Apart from being intimidated or scared or not really knowing enough about it, what, what are the, some of the behavioural patterns that you've seen? There was a MasterCut study done and the most financially literate women are actually in the Philippines, which I thought was quite surprising for me because, you know, I always thought that it will either be Singapore or Hong Kong. Yeah. And this survey is done measuring savings, investments and money management, right? I think in Singapore, people are generally savers. Um, so, okay, in Japan, women control the household budget. So what happens is the money is mostly managed by the women. Yeah. So they, they are actually very adept to money management. Mm. I know in Malaysia that people still share the burden and a lot of women actually 
from my understanding, they still don't work and they still depend on the husband. So that's something that, you know, we want to... I mean, even if you are a housewife, which I respect a lot, I think you still need to prepare yourself financially in the event of any unfortunate circumstances. Sure. We at Next Money are about design, innovation and entrepreneurship in finance. But of course, we have to talk about fintech very briefly. Yes. Um, are there any fintechs that you see that are really focusing on this area in a really meaningful way? And second part of the question is, can fintech really be a huge factor in improving the financial well-being of women, or is it is it bigger than that anyway? Is it bigger than just technology? I I will say I think I have a lot of respect for Elvis and what they are trying to do. Um, Tell us what Elvis is. So Elvis is a robo advisor for women essentially. So they want to target the female market in the states mm-hmm. uh, to encourage women to take control of their finances and to invest. I mean, I'm not sure how well they're doing, but I think, you know, I read their content and the message that they're putting out there. And I think that they will be the best and most suited fintech company to target the female market. The CEO is very well respected. She used to run the Elevate Network, which is a network of senior bankers and senior women in leadership, right? And even the messaging, you know, their emails and their posts, it's very empowering. You know, they don't put women down and they actually tell you how to get interested in it. Uh, that probably answers the second question, which is, you know, is it more than just technology? I think I think it is, right? Yeah. It is about approach, language, respectful tone of voice, and those kinds of things, right? I think for every B2C companies, is always knowing what your client wants, what your customer needs, right? So even for fintech, I think for most B2C fintech companies, you need to know what they are looking for because... I just read this quote that if you try to cater to everyone, you're basically catering to no one. So if you want to cater to women, then you need to understand the kind of women that you want to cater for, what they need and what can help them. Because if you don't help anyone, then I don't think that your business has a lot of value in it. Now, you and I are both founding members, founding committee members of the Singapore Fintech Association. (laughs) Yes. Uh, That's a pretty exciting venture that we're both part of. I've been doing a lot less work than you have. But it's an exciting market here in Singapore for fintech, obviously. Mm. Just to sort of at the back end of the show now, what do you think is exciting you the most about the Singapore fintech scene? Given your reporting on it, talking about it, part of it, what, what's something that you're excited about? What do you think the biggest opportunity is for Singapore, specifically in the fintech scene? I think for me personally, again, it's very personal. Uh, two things. One is education. I think what Singapore Fintech Association is trying to do for the education space is um, is very exciting, right? We, we are trying to educate the younger students on what Fintech is, on blockchain. We, we run boot camps. And for people to actually understand, you know, financial technology and even finance and technology, you need to know the concept better. And the younger you learn, the more adept people are at. The second thing is obviously women in fintech. So what we wanted to do is to raise the profile of women. So we had a meeting, I think there were 15 or 20 of us, and we all agreed on a few things. So one is that we are not party planners. So there's no point in having a women-only fintech event. Number two, we are not excluding the men. We want any men in fintech or even you know in, in banks or whatever to join the conversation to help us and we are not trying to exclude the men or, you know, be enemies of the men, but we want to work together to promote women in fintech because there's just too little of us, right? And obviously, lastly, we want to actually promote 
the visibility of women. And actually, this arose from a very interesting article of social media influencers, fintech social media influencers. And out of 30, 30 are males, which I think it's very sad because um, th there are a lot of women here who are doing amazing work and not being recognized socially for it, right? Um, and there are a lot of reasons for it. I mean, it's not a man's job to promote a woman, right? It's never a man's job. And I know for Next Money, you have this pledge about gender equality in all your events. So I think the idea was to actually also promote women and how we can help them to grow better as individuals. So whether it's promoting their visibility or, you know, raising money, mentorship, these are some of the objectives that we want to achieve. Okay, so that leads me nicely to um, to your event. You've got coming up on the 8th of April uh, yeah. very soon. Do you want to tell us a bit about the Future is Female conference? <laughs> tell us a bit what's going to happen there. So the Future is Female conference is a collaboration between the New Savvy and Singapore Exchange. What we want to do is to increase the financial literacy of females in Singapore. It's a financial literacy, empowerment and lifestyle conference, full-day conference. So we will be having senior representatives from banks, entrepreneurs, some amazing women leaders and... Investors I've seen as well and some public figures, right? Yes, investors and public figures too. That's great. So what we want to do is to tell these women, you know, these are some of the topics that you can take a look at. This is how you can invest and this is how you should start investing. And on the other hand, we also talk about, you know, real issues like personal branding, mm. you know, um, how do you stand out in the world or, you know, how do you manage in a male-dominated environment. Great. It's great, great support there. So last question then. So what's the future for the new Savvy? What, what's going to happen? What, what have you got coming up? Are you still growing? We are always growing. <laughs> so we have about 300,000 monthly page views and 30,000 subscribers, mostly in Singapore. What we want to do is to expand regionally to Hong Kong, Indonesia and Malaysia. And um, ultimately what we want to do is to have our very own uh, wealth management platform, but that will be a few years later. No, that sounds exciting. Okay, so where can they go to find out more information about both your content and the event as well? Where do they go? <laughs> Thenewsavvy.com. Great, thanks very much. Anna Hatantu, thank you so much for joining us today on the Next Money Podcast. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for today's show. We really want to thank you all for listening. Uh, be sure to check the latest Next Money news and conferences at nextmoney.org, we'd love to have uh, your interest in be on the show. We want you to be a guest, a sponsor, a producer. Uh, we'd love your con contribution. And we'll speak to you next time on the Next Money Podcast. Mm -hmm.